I don't know about you, but I find myself avoiding any news that comes out of our nation's capital these days. Right or left, blue or red, I switch the channel, leave the room, or turn off the radio when the latest scandal or tweet or acrimonious debate comes on. And I realize this head-in-the-sand approach is unhealthy, or, or just what they, whoever they are, want me to do. But it's all becoming so overwhelming, especially this past week. And in spite of my attempts to close my ears, I can't help but feel the divisions out there. As I've said before from up here, it, it seems we are more divided than ever as a country, as a community, and even as a congregation. Now, while much of this may go unsaid, you can't help but feel the division. In restaurants or at the Kroger's, I find myself secretly wondering about the folks around me. Where do they stand on this or that issue? You know, it can be very isolating. These divisions cut that deep. Which led me this week to move away from our epiphany focus on God's revelation in the person of Jesus, and, and focus instead on Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Paul is concerned with divisions within the church in Corinth, and today's reading serves as kind of a mission statement for his entire ministry, especially toward the end when he says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, but so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. The cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. This is really Paul's worldview in, in a single phrase. I'm going to unpack it in a little bit, but, but first some background on the church in Corinth to help set the stage. The city of Corinth is about 50 miles from Athens and was a central point on the busy trade route between the Far East and Rome. It's a busy port town, and like many port towns, it has its share of unique and colorful characters. Think of it like a combination of old San Francisco and modern-day Las Vegas. There was kind of an aura of anything goes, or what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, in this outpost of the first century Nouveau Riche. And throughout the Roman Empire, to act like a Corinthian meant to lead a reckless life. And if you know anything about Paul, he was about anything but leading a reckless life. But that was only part of the problem with the church in Corinth. The bigger problems were around divisions. As we hear in today's reading, there are those who want to divide the church and follow Apollos or Cephas or even Paul himself. The church was also divided between the haves who arrived early and ate and drank all the communal meal and the have-nots who came after their workdays ended only to find just scraps. There were even divisions around the resurrection whether it's bodily or spiritual. That answer helped gauge whether members of the church could live life large, enjoying the good life that Corinth offered, or in, live in absolute celibacy, even among married couples. And while many of these issues no longer divide us so much today, they were tearing apart the growing community in Corinth. And Paul, he was having none of it. While we have just two letters of Paul to the Corinthians, some scholars think there were as many as seven, some carried by couriers like Titus and Timothy, and messages sent by other means, like today's message from Chloe's people. Among the churches that Paul founded, it might be said he was somewhat obsessed with this problematic bunch in Corinth. You see, Paul was concerned that the Corinthians were wanting to jump over the cross 
and live only in the resurrection. And in doing so, the cross is robbed of its power. For Paul, the logic of the cross, if you will, reveals in no small way the nature of God, both in God's willingness to suffer for the benefit of creation and the power of God to bring life out of death. You see, the divided church in Corinth is making it about themselves, and Paul is urging them to look bigger, to unite themselves for the sake of something larger than the self, for the power of God found in the cross. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. They needed to look beyond their divisions because they are meaningless in the face of the power of God found in the cross. And it made me wonder, what if Paul were speaking to us today? I had a conversation this week that made me, well, it made me sad. A member of our church family let me know that they were leaving because they found the politics of our church to be too closely aligned with one, of the, with one political party. And this was triggered by something heard in one of my sermons several weeks ago. And even though I hadn't meant it to be political, it, it had been taken that way. And come to find out this parishioner had, over the years, found themselves increasingly isolated here at St. Peter's. Each Sunday, they found themselves just, just waiting for the ball to drop. Whether in a sermon or overheard in a hallway conversation, they were increasingly afraid that people like them, who shared a more conservative viewpoint or an opinion about the president, would be caricatured, made into cartoons, and cast as stupid or racist or misogynist or just plain bad. We like to consider ourselves a sanctuary where all are safe, but we were creating an environment where this particular person felt afraid, felt unsafe. And as I spoke with this person, Paul's voice came screaming at me across the centuries. We should put unity above all division. We are all the body of Christ. We're different like eyes and arms and legs, but equally important. You see, we need all the voices. And I wondered if we, too, are in danger of jumping over the cross to get to the resurrection. Are we forgetting the logic of the cross, that, that we needed, need to be united in mindset and intention, that we come together as the body of Christ and we empty ourselves before the cross for the sake of something that is greater than the self? And we're united in that. So whether we worship at the temple of our president or the temple of anybody but our president, we're worshiping in the wrong place. And if, like me, you sometimes find yourself spending a big chunk of your waking hours angry or upset about something that's said or did or done, then that's kind of a worship, isn't it? If you spend all your time doing it. And I'm not saying we don't have opinions or that we don't express them when appropriate, but that maybe we try to keep them in check a little bit because we never know who's listening or following us on social media, who might be made to feel unsafe, who might be sitting right next to us. Like Paul's holy ones in Corinth, we're united by baptism into the one body of Christ. We are bigger than our divisions. And that brings me to Dolly Parton. <laughs> it always leads to Dolly, doesn't it? There's this fantastic podcast that came out a few months ago called Dolly Parton's America. And if you haven't found it, go look it up. 
It's a series of nine separate interviews with Dolly about her life, her music, and her beliefs. In a divided world, she is the one unifier. I mean, who doesn't love Dolly? In one episode that's called Dollatex, which I love that, the interviewer tries every way to get Dolly to reveal her political bent. And here, this writer of that great feminist anthem, Nine to Five, she won't budge. She won't reveal anything. The interviewer thought this was a cynical but savvy business-wise way that Dolly protected her base. But in an interview with her, she said something that made him stop, and as I heard it, it made me stop. In 2017, Dolly was a presenter at the Emmy Awards with her 9 to 5 co-stars Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. Now, like most of the presenters of that night, Lily and Jane came out bashing the president. Both cited the movie's plotline of revolt against a mean, misogynistic bigot and pointed it toward Donald Trump. And they waited for Dolly to chime in, and she did. She chimed in with a joke about a certain part of her anatomy that she's kind of famous for, something about support. You could feel the whole room changed. And in the podcast, the interviewer asked, asked her about that moment. And she said she didn't want to bash Donald Trump. She wanted to pray for him. And that struck me as exactly what I should be doing, praying for him. Not worshiping in one temple or the other, but praying for him from this temple the one built from the foot of the cross. Now, I know you may be wondering why I'm spending so much time focusing on the cross when here we are, we're in Epiphany. This is when we look for God made manifest. And we'll have enough time during Lent to ponder the cross, but, but these dark, divided times make me want to see a little bit of the resurrected Christ around right now. And maybe what I'm looking for is what might be called an Epiphany of the Cross. Moments in our lives where we empty ourselves for something bigger than the self. And we see an epiphany. We see God made manifest among us. Last week I bragged a little bit about our own Zandra Sharp and the tremendous work she's doing helping a homeless couple who have a two-week-old newborn, helping them make a new life here. After a chance meeting at a stoplight, Zandra has helped them find a home, a job, help from various agencies around town, and engineered an army of folks from here, from St. Joe's across town, and her Facebook family to, don to donate money, supplies, furniture, and pretty much anything else. There's even a baby shower in the parish hall next Sunday to help them even more. I mean, no one asked her to do this. But you see, this is an epiphany of the cross. Zandra saw something bigger than herself something bigger than a handout at a stoplight. And she made something happen. I know she's a little embarrassed that I'm making a fuss about this because she told me, but, but this is what the lived gospel looks like. It's not just words, but it's actions. This is the lived logic of the cross. It's what it looks like, it smells like, it feels like. And even telling, uh, talking about it gives me goosebumps because it feels so darn good to see it happening. And we are blessed to have so many folks like Zandra in our community. Folks who remind us to see something bigger than ourselves, our divisions, even in the darkness, especially in the darkness. They push us to see the epiphanies, 
those moments of God made manifest in our lives, happening all around us. So I ask you to see those epiphanies, those moments of light, and overcome our differences, and rest in them, because the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Amen.